Hi everyone and welcome back to Crime Combos, where every week we'll be discussing a true crime ranging from serial killers to cold cases and everything in between all while having a new weekly cocktail. We're your hosts, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Riley. And this week we'll be talking about Fred and Rosemary West and our cocktail this week. Um, for me, I'm honestly just having a glass of wine. I'm just having some Moscato. And I'm just having a rum and coke. Nothing too fancy this week. We kind of dropped the ball on our cocktail, cocktail, but it will be up next week again. So don't worry about that. So we're just going to jump into our story. So Fred West was born on September 29th in 1941 in Bickerton Cottage, Muchmarkle, Herefordshire, which is That's in England, if you couldn't tell. He was the first surviving child after a few miscarriages to farmers Walter West and Daisy Hill. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children, who only six of them survived. Fred was his mother's favorite. It is suspected that his mother actually started sexually abusing him when he was about 12 years old. Facts can't confirm as this has been said by Fred, but dismissed by his brother as fantasies of Fred. Really? So not really sure but it is speculation yeah fred does claim however that sexual abuse was extremely common in his household claiming his father had sexual relations with his sisters and he even taught and introduced fred to bestiality excuse me yeah great father-son relationship at the age of 15 even though he was almost illiterate fred dropped out of school to help his family financially At the age of 17, he was actually in a bad motorcycle accident where he was in a coma for over a week. After recovering, Fred developed a bad temper and had many violent outbursts. It is unsure whether this was caused from the head injury he sustained in the accident, but he just got really angry really easily afterwards. Okay. At the age of 19, Fred got another head injury after a girl pushed him down a flight of stairs for putting his hand up her skirt, which same kind of understandable i would throw someone down a flight of stairs yeah that same year he was convicted for the molestation of a 13 year old girl though he didn't serve any time since his doctors vouched for her vouched for him that he suffered from seizures which how is that relevant yeah makes no sense i don't understand how if you're having a seizure you molest a 13 year old girl that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me yeah In June of 1961, Fred's 13-year-old sister told her mother that Fred had been sexually assaulting her since the previous year and was now pregnant. Excuse me? He was quickly arrested, all while telling the police that he'd actually been molesting and sexually assaulting young girls for years now, asking, doesn't everybody do that? Oh. So apparently he just thought this was the thing to do. How does one think that's normal? I don't know. Fred's sister refused to testify against Fred, so luckily for him, the case was dropped. Though at this point, his family disowned him, and his mother kicked him out of the family house, leading him to go live with his aunt Violet. But he eventually made peace with his family in the following years. He came back into contact with Catherine Costello, who he called Rena, in 1962. Fred and Rena had dated back in 1960 before she moved back home to Scotland. When they reconnected, Rena was pregnant by another man of Asian descent, which had caused her family to move back to England because her family did not approve of a mixed-race baby. Fred and Rena got married on November 17, 1962, just a few months after reconnecting. They moved to Coatbridge, where Rena gave birth to a daughter they named Charmaine in March. When they were asked as to why Charmaine was of different skin tone, Fred and Rena claimed that Rena had miscarried, and to help cope, they adopted Charmaine. Just to Uh. cover up the tracks, because, again, a lot of people back then, you know, didn't approve of mixed race. Kind of messed up, but... Well, that's how it was back then, unfortunately. Not too long after, they relocated again, this time back to Rena's city of Glasgow. Fred and Rena had another daughter, who they named Anna Marie in July of 1964. During this time, they had a nanny by the name of Isla McNeil. Fred treated the, t- the children terribly, keeping them locked in their rooms in a bunk bed that he installed bars in between, like, the two bunks. Oh. So basically caging them. Yeah. They were only allowed out of the, ho- out of the cage when Fred wasn't home. So I guess he <laughs> just wanted nothing to do with the kids. Clearly, yeah. Mm. During this time, the Wests had come to known 
16-year-old Anne McFall, a friend of Isla McNeil's, the nanny, who was distraught over the death of her then-boyfriend. Fred later informed Rena of his many affairs, including fathering a child with another woman. Rena then began an affair herself with a man named John McLaughlin, and Fred found the two embracing at one point, and he punched Rena in the face, not John, which I feel like would be the more common more, thing to do. Yeah. But after punching Rena in the face, John then punched Fred. So Fred drew a knife to threaten him, and once again, John hit Fred, and Fred just backed down. The beatings only worsened. John often saw Rena with reoccurring bruises and black eyes, and even once witnessed Fred hitting Charmaine when she asked for some ice cream. For, that's it. Yep. John later mm. said that Fred was, quote, a violent and sadistic bastard who enjoyed beating up women and kids. Lovely guy. Whenever John was present, he did typically beat Fred if he put his hands on Rena or Charmaine. Okay. In 1965, Fred accidentally ran over and killed a little boy in his van, but was cleared of any wrongdoing. How? I'm not sure. In fear that the reaction from locals would be bad, he returned to Gloucester with his children. Rena, Isla, and Anne joined them in February of 1966. At this point, Fred was abusing all three of these women, mostly focusing on Rena and Isla, and also even abusing Charmaine, unfortunately. Fred also began sexually abusing Charmaine at this point. He encouraged Rena to sleep with men for money to help the family financially, and Rena at this point decided enough was enough. She called up her old flame John and begged him to come rescue her, her children, and the other women. A plan was put into motion that John and the boyfriend of Isla, a man also named John, would drive to them, take the girls and the children back with them to Scotland. Unfortunately, at this time, Anne had actually fallen in love with Fred, with his claims to marry her, and she informed Fred of the secret plan. Oh, no. Yeah. Fred showed up at the house the time of the plan escape and began a physical fight with John. Police were called, and John, Rena, Isla, and Isla's boyfriend left the scene, leaving the children behind. Oh, no. Rena did come back to England frequently to visit her daughters, Charmaine and Anna Marie, to make sure they were okay. At this point, Anne lived with Fred permanently and told her family in letters that Fred was offering her a better life and that she would not be returning to Scotland as they were going to get married. But unfortunately, Anne was very wrong. Sometime in July of 1967, Anne, who was at the time eight months pregnant with Fred's child and just a child herself at 19, disappeared. It wasn't until 27 years later, in June of 1994, that her dismembered remains would be discovered. Oh my god. Like I said, she had been dismembered and a lot of the bones were missing. Her unborn child, the remains were not found with her. It was believed that the fetus was cut from her body the time of her murder. Oh my god. Fred denied having anything to do with the murder, except years later when admitting to an inmate that he actually stabbed her to death when they got into a fight. This would be the first murder at the hands of Fred, and the numbers would only continue to grow when in 1969 he met a woman by the name of Rosemary Letts. Rosemary Letts was born on November 29th, 1953, in Northam, Devon, to William Letts and Daisy Gwendolyn Fuller. She was the second youngest in a family of seven. Her household, much like Fred's, was troubled and financially bare. Her father was schizophrenic, who beat every member of the family, and her mother received ECT while pregnant with Rose to treat her depression. So ECT is electroconvulsive therapy. So she received shock therapy to help with her depression when pregnant. Uh, that, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, so they don't know if there's any linking to if this had any effect on her in the womb, but right, it's highly possible. Yeah. So it's unconfirmed, but Rose was very violent and angry growing up. Okay. Rose, again like Fred, grew up at the sexual abusive hands of her father, which caused her to, again, like Fred, sexually abuse her siblings, even being caught in bed one time molesting her at the time nine-year-old brother Graham. Oh my. 
her father didn't let her date boys her own age, telling her that she was too ugly and too fat to be liked. This made it's Rosemary find yeah. This made Rosemary find interest in older men, which caused her to be sexually assaulted on more than one occasion. At the age of 15, Rose's mother took her and left her father to live with one of her eldest daughters. Surprisingly, Rosemary actually returned willingly to her father's care. And not too long after, she met the other main character of her story, Fred West. When Fred first met Rose, she had just turned 15 and he was 27. Bit of an age gap. Just a smidge. At first, Rose was not interested in Fred. He was unkept, unbathed, and all around just not an attractive guy. But like many girls with low self-confidence, she loved the attention that she received from an older guy like Fred. She denied dates with him, though, on several occasions. But one day, a woman entered the bakery that Rose was working at and gave Rose a gift. When asking who it was from, the woman claimed it was from the man outside, which in the following minutes, Fred entered the bakery and again asked Rose on a date, to which she finally said yes. Within weeks of dating, Rose had quit her job at the bakery to look after Fred's children. Fred agreed to give her money to give to her parents every Friday, so they believe she still worked at the bakery. So I don't know if she was paying rent or what, Yeah. but he gave her money to keep up the act that she still had a job. Okay. Her family finally met Fred and disapproved immediately. I mean, kind of understandable. He was older, arrogant, cocky, rude, unkept, and just plain unlikable. Her parents placed her in a home for troubled teenagers and hoping it would keep her and Fred away from each other. Now, on the weekend, she was allowed to return home to visit her family, but instead she would just go and see Fred. On her 16th birthday, Rose officially moved in with Fred, who then collected his daughters, Charmaine and Anna Marie, who were with social services at the time because he was serving jail time for an unpaid fine. Rose was examined by a doctor in February of 1970 at the wishes of her father, and it was confirmed that she was pregnant with Fred's child. She again at this time was placed into a home, but was quickly discharged in March under the agreement that she would terminate the the pregnancy, which she didn't do. This made her father ban her from ever contacting him again. In the summer of 1970, the family moved to a two-story house on Midland Road in Gloucester. Rose gave birth to her first child in October, a daughter they named Heather Ann, though it is speculated that Heather may in fact be the child of Rose's father. Oh, no. Two months later, in December, Fred was imprisoned for car theft. He would stay in prison until June of the next year, all while Rose looked after the three children, Charmaine, Anna Marie, and their new baby, Heather. According to Anna Marie, her and Charmaine were beat almost daily during the time that Rose looked after them. Anna Marie would cry and show emotions like any normal kid who got hit. Right. But Charmaine didn't. She never shed a tear or gave any satisfaction to Rose at all that she was hurting her. Through years of neglect and abuse she faced from everybody, Charmaine often held on to hope that her mother would return for her, something that she told Anna Marie frequently. A friend of Charmaine's named Tracy, who lived on the upper level of their two-story home, they lived in like a duplex, Okay. at the time remembers a time that she walked into the West's home without knocking and saw Charmaine standing naked on a chair, bound and gagged, as Rose beat her with a wooden spoon. Oh my god. Rose was known to have taken Charmaine, Anna Marie, and Heather to see Fred in prison on June 15th, 1971, and this was one of the last times anyone saw Charmaine again. It is unknown when or how Charmaine was killed, but it is known that she was kept in a coal cellar until Fred buried her body in the backyard after his release date on June 24th, 1971. Charmaine was buried by the back door, and her body was severed at the hip upon discovery. Though what? both Fred and Rose denied dismembering her body, the severing could have been done by Rose when she killed her, or it could have been caused because Fred did some construction on the property over the years, so something may have hit her but it's never known you what might. happened but like Anne mcfall many of charmaine's bones were missing still unsure why so was that ever like figured out where they went we'll get to it okay 
Fred and Rose covered up the murder by telling anyone who asked that Charmaine's mother, Rena, had returned and taken her daughter back with her to Scotland. When Anna Marie, Rena's other daughter, asked her father why her mother didn't take her as well, he would just respond with, she wouldn't want you, you're the wrong color. Because Charmaine was of mixed descent, right? right? In August of 1971, Rena got Fred's new address and confronted him demanding to see her daughters as she has heard things through the grapevine and was concerned for their well-being. This was the last time that Rena was seen alive. It is unclear, but it is believed she was murdered by strangulation and most likely was intoxicated during the murder. Her body was discovered dismembered in several plastic bags buried close to a cluster of trees, and with her remains was also a metal tube, which had led investigators to believe that before her murder, she was sexually assaulted. Possibly with the tube. Oh my god. Unbelievable. The following year, on January 29th, 1972, Fred and Rose got married in Gloucester. No friends or family were invited besides Fred's brother, John. It was small, quiet, private. They didn't want anyone there. Fred lied on the marriage certificate, saying he was a bachelor, as he never divorced Rena before her murder. Several months later, the family moved to a new three-story house at 25 Cromwell Street, as Rose was pregnant with their second child and they needed more room. This house on Cromwell Street is where the rest of our story will take place. Fred purchased this house for 7,000 euros, which is approximately 10,500 Canadian, which... Can you imagine buying a house? I would buy a house tomorrow. I'd buy two. Yeah, I'd buy three. <laughs> that is not... The house market market in Canada is trash right now, just in case no one knew. On June 1st, 1972, Rose gave birth to their second daughter, and because of her birth date, led them to name her May June West. You're kidding me. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Doesn't make it good. It's tragic. Not too long after birth, Rose began to work as a sex worker to bring in extra money. She would take over the upstairs room of the house, which was known to everyone in the house as Rose's room, which included several peepholes installed by Fred so he could watch and pleasure himself to the events that took place inside. Yikes. He also installed a baby monitor in the room so he could listen from anywhere in the house. Rose's room included a bar and a red light outside the door to let others in the house know that Rose had a client with her and was not to be disturbed. So kind of like a recording in process. Yeah. Light kind of thing. Fred even installed a separate doorbell that clients were instructed to ring. So it would ring in her room and nowhere else in the house so she would know that she had someone waiting for her. Rose advertised her services in magazines and even serviced some lodgers, which are roommates, that they would take in on occasion to stay with them. I don't know if you were ever able to put in magazines that type of service. Well, this is what, in the 70s? That still doesn't Uh, seem... Well, I'm just, you know, things have changed. Well, either way. Rose was said to be a violent person in bed, especially with women. Okay, what? She would get increasingly violent, enough to suffocate them, choke them, or even insert objects which were far too big. If these women showed any fear or pain, it would only excite Rose more. Many of these women came forward in the years to come and said that both Rose and Fred, Fred would often partake in three sums with his wife, both loved violent sex. They kept a large amount of bondage equipment to cater their fetishes and even later added videos of bestiality and child sexual abuse to their collection. Oh my. In 1977, Rose's father had actually finally began to tolerate her marriage to Fred, with whom he even opened a cafe with which they named The Green Lantern. <laughs> that's that's terrible. Pro- that's probably why the movie was inspired. Ah. Uh... No. It soon went under. Not very successful. (laughs) When Rose's father heard about Rose's services, he too even visited the West household to have sex with his daughter. Oh, why? By 1983, Rose had given birth to eight children, three of them at least being conceived by clients, though Fred accepted all of the children as his own. 
when each of the children turned seven, they received a list of chores to do in the house. They never really got to go outside unless Rose or Fred were present, knowing that if they didn't follow everything their parents said, that there would be a physical punishment waiting for them. At one point, Heather and one of her younger brothers, Stephen, attempted to run away, returning a few weeks later seeing as they couldn't make it on their own, and both children were badly beaten as a result. Between the years of 1972 and 1992, the West children were admitted to the hospital over 30 times, with injuries always explained as accidents and were never investigated further. Yeah, at a certain point, an accident, you know, 30 times? Come on. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of these occasions included Stephen being hit over the head with a bowl of water that he was using to mop after Rose accidentally stepped in the bowl and spilled it. She proceeded to kick him repeatedly in the stomach and head. Another time being when Rose grabbed a knife and began cutting May's chest until she was covered in light knife wounds, all while she begged her to stop. Another one being Rose going after Fred, actually, with a butcher knife, lunging at him right as he closed the bathroom door, getting the knife stuck through the door, like a classic horror movie, and nearly severing off several of her fingers. Oh, wow. Okay, that's uh, aggressive. Mm -hmm. On several occasions, both Fred and Rose sexually assaulted their children. Now, this is sexual assault on kids under the age of 18, So if you guys don't want to hear that, feel free to skip ahead. At one point, taking Anna Marie down to the cellar at the age of eight, as Fred sexually assaulted her as Rose watched on in encouragement and then helped her clean up in the bathroom, telling her, quote, I'm sorry, everybody does it to every girl. It's a father's job. Don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. That's just straight messed up. This happened repeatedly, with even Rose partaking by bonding her to furniture in the cellar before having Fred assault her. At the age of 13, Rose started to force Anna Marie to engage in sexual acts for money with clients. But Rose told everyone she was 16. 16 is far too young. I don't know if that was the age of consent at the time, but either way, so gross. When both Heather and May reached puberty, they too would become one of their father's many conquests. He told them on occasion, I made you, I can do what I like with you. He told them he intended to impregnate both of them at least once each. Oh my. He frequently made all of his children watch porn videos with him. And at one point, Fred even informed Stephen that when he was 17, he would have to engage in sex with his mother. But luckily, this never happened. Heather, May, and Stephen, all being close in age, formed a pact to protect each other. None of them would ever be alone with Fred without one or both of the other trio members present in hopes that Fred wouldn't sexually assault the girls if the siblings were there. The girls would not undress or shower unless one of them was guarding the door or Fred was not in the house. Can you imagine having to plan this yeah, with if, your siblings? Yeah, that's something that you should never have to... To protect yourself from your father, someone who's supposed to protect you your entire life? Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Heather was more affected by her parents' actions than any of the other children. Later in her biography, May states remembering Heather to be very uneasy at all times. Waking up from nightmares constantly, would always watch Fred out of the corner of her eye biting her nails until they bled, drinking copious amounts of alcohol. For some reason, this led Rose and Fred to believe Heather was a lesbian, making her become even more of a victim to Fred's abuse. He constantly called her ugly and a bitch and some homophobic slurs that I won't be saying, and Rose laughed at Heather every time that she would go to her for comfort. You go to your mom to try and get comfort after someone, not someone, your father is harassing you and just laugh at them. Yeah, that's that's not right. In October of 1972, the West hired 17-year-old Caroline Owens as a nanny, telling her that Rose was a masseuse and Fred telling her that he was a skilled abortionist if she ever needed the help. 
explaining how sometimes the girls were so grateful to him for his services that they would just throw themselves over to him and have sex with him right then and there. I'm casting some doubt on that. After several sexual advances from both Fred and Rose, Caroline announced she was quitting as a nanny and returning home. On December 6th of 1972, the couple found Caroline hitchhiking and got her into their vehicle, apologizing for making her uncomfortable and offered to drive her home, which she accepted. Rose sat with her in the back seat and began to fondle her and attempted to feel her privates after Fred told her to check if she had had sex with her boyfriend that night. Um. Once she started protesting, Fred stopped the car and began punching her until she fell unconscious. Caroline woke woke up back at the house on Cromwell Street to both Fred and Rose sexually assaulting her. She begged them to stop as Fred lashed her with a leather belt, and after realizing her situation, Caroline gave in, and she just stopped resisting and let the terrible assault continue, hoping that it would end soon. Caroline was kept bound in a room and was repeatedly threatened by Fred that he would have other men come sexually assault her if she screamed or tried to escape. He then asked her to be their nanny again, and Caroline agreed, thinking if she did, she could have a chance to escape at some point. Right. She cleaned around the house a bit to make it seem believable, and then the same day Rose took her with her to a laundromat, where Caroline escaped when Rose wasn't looking and managed to get home. After trying to hide her injury from her family, Caroline finally broke down and told her mom of the situation. Her mom quickly alerted the police... And this got both Fred and Rose arrested and tried for assault, indecent assault, actual bodily harm, and sexual assault charges. Dealing with the trauma and the fear of the West, Caroline could not bring herself to testify, causing all charges to be dropped. Oh, no. Both Fred and Rose agreed to plead guilty to reduce any remaining charges and, listen to this, were charged 50 euro each, which is about $75 Canadian, and walked free the same day. That's just... After they pled guilty. How is that... How is that okay? I don't know. Upon hearing this news, Caroline actually attempted suicide, but was unsuccessful. She stated later in interviews she was happy it didn't work out because she was actually able to testify later down the road and helped put them in prison. Three kind of gave her the, the power to... Exactly. Three months after the trial with Caroline, Rose and Fred committed their first known murder as a couple, the victim being 19-year-old Linda Goff, whom they met from a roommate earlier in 1973 and who actually started living with them at the time. After Linda was murdered, other tenants were told that Rose and Fred kicked Linda out after she had hit one of their children. Linda's mother was told the same thing when she showed up at the house asking of her daughter's whereabouts. And actually, when Rose answered the door, Linda's mother remembers that Rose was wearing her daughter's red slippers and that some of her daughter's clothing was on the drying line outside. Linda's dismembered body was later found buried under the bathroom with her jaw completely wrapped up and taped to silence her and with two tubes inserted into her nose to allow her to breathe. She was buried under the bathroom? Under the bathroom tile, yeah. Oh my god, how do you even... I don't know. It is unknown if she died from strangulation or suffocation, but definitely one of the two. And much like all other victims in the story, several of her bones were missing. Following many murders and burials, Fred eventually covered up the cellar in concrete, turning it into a bedroom for some of the other children. Fred and Rose were not known to have committed any more murders until 1978, when Fred murdered 19-year-old Shirley Robinson. The motive is believed to be because she was eight months pregnant with Fred's child, and Rose grew resentment and jealousy towards Shirley and thought her being pregnant with Fred's child risked her own relationship with Fred. Shirley's body was discovered in the garden and was again dismembered with bones missing. Her baby was also cut out of her stomach and itself also had bones missing. On August 5th, 1979, a 16-year-old girl named Allison Chambers, who ran away from a children's home, came to live with the Wests to be their live-in nanny. She lived there for several months before her murder. Her body was also found buried in the garden close to the bathroom wall. 
On June 19, 1986, some of the West children returned home from school to notice their sister Heather was missing. When asked where Heather was, Rose told them she left to accept a job she had previously been refused in Torquay. They later said she ran away from home. They later said she ran up with a lesbian lover. So they made up a lot of inconsistent stories. Yeah, so they never really had one. No. In May of 1992, Fred sexually assaulted another one of his daughters, 13-year-old Louise. He would sexually assault her a total of three more times, including videotaping one of the assaults. Following this, Louise would do one of the bravest things that any of the children had done and tell a friend at school what her daughter, what her father, sorry, had done to her. This friend told her own mother what happened to Louise, and this is what conducted the start of the investigation that would bring Fred and Rose to justice. The police searched the home on August 6, 1992, and found over 99 pornographic videos, both bought and homemade, oh, no. but did not find the video involving 13-year-old Louise. Even so, all the children were placed in foster care the following day. The West children told police about the physical and sexual abuse from their parents and how Fred would repeatedly say if anyone ever told anyone what was going on in the house, they would be buried under the patio like their sister, Heather. Should they, he just... That's, he would threaten them, saying that. Police began a full-scale investigation. This led to Fred being charged with three counts of sexual assault, one count of buggery, which is anal sex, with Rose as his accomplice, and Rose was also charged with child cruelty, inciting her husband to engage in sex with their daughter, and obstructing the police. Though when the Wests were questioned of Heather's whereabouts, they claimed she was alive and well, with Rose even saying she kept contact with her via the telephone. Anna Marie contacted the police and informed them of all the sexual, physical, and emotional abuse she endured throughout her childhood. Police then asked May some questions, but she had earlier spoken with 13-year-old Louise, who was distraught and didn't want her father arrested. So May denied any abuse or molestation as a child. Now, before anyone starts questioning why they didn't tell them, they were kids, and this was their entire life, right? Yeah. So they probably had extreme Stockholm syndrome and their parents always said this is what parents do this is what your dad does you know so they thought it was normal yeah so they probably thought if they were to go into a foster home it might be worse yeah they just didn't know know any better police tried to find Heather in efforts to confirm Anna Marie's claims of abuse but they couldn't find any traces of her and I didn't mean like any like mailing address for wherever she lived like she didn't exist at all what do you they mean she never existed? They couldn't find anything. The case against the Wests collapsed when Anna Marie and May refused to testify in court in June of 1993. All Louise wanted was everything to go back to normal and return to her family. Anna Marie agreed to withdraw her statements after seeing how miserable the entire situation was making her younger siblings. But luckily, a couple days after, she changed her mind and decided... I'm not going to let me or my siblings go through this hell anymore. And she spoke to the police again and agreed to testify and also informed them that her mother, Rena, and half-sister Charmaine were also missing. All children remained in custody and all of Fred and Rose's families had cut ties with them. Everything around them was falling apart. Though they were acquitted of all the charges, police were still curious as to the whereabouts of Heather. After going back and remembering, the children told them that Fred threatened to bury them in the yard like their sister Heather, they went back and spoke with Anna Marie again. She informed them that every time Fred had said that, he burst into laughter afterwards. So she didn't believe it to be true and just an empty threat. made it off as if it was a joke. Mm -hmm. But this was the only possible lead the police had on everything as other... Every other lead was a dead end and they had no information about Heather at all. So they produced a search warrant and showed it to Rose. When she read the warrant, she went pale white, and as she was being taken away, she was hysterical and was yelling to her eldest son, Stephen, to go get Fred. So they knew after showing it to her that something was up. The jig was up, basically. Because she was freaking out. Yeah. After this, anytime she was ever questioned about Heather again, she would get angry, 
defensive, claiming she couldn't remember. It was so long ago. How do you expect me to remember? After Stephen informed Fred of the search warrant, he assured him he would be home soon, as he was away in Stroud working, which is about three hours from the house. Okay. Fred arrived at the house on Cromwell Street about three hours later, and he tried many tactics to distract the police and to make them leave, assuring them that Heather was fine and that her being buried under the patio was a joke, not to be taken seriously. After this didn't work, he accused the police that they were just doing this because they held a grudge against him for his past crimes. But it didn't work. The police were determined to search the yard and to figure out where Heather really ended up. Much to Fred's defeat the next morning, before Stephen left for work, Fred told him to take care of Rose and to sell the house, saying, quote, I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. I'm not sure if he was telling him to go make money to sell the story. Yeah, it kind of sounds that way. Before anyone else could do it. Shortly after this, the police returned to continue their search. Before they could even do anything, Fred confessed to Heather's murder and wanted to be taken to the police station to provide a full confession. Fred confessed at 11.15 that morning he had killed Heather. He confessed to strangling her in a fit of rage and dismembering her body in the bathroom with a serrated knife. But he insisted that Rose had absolutely no knowledge, and she believed Heather was still alive, but just gone and ran away. Right. He told them the reason they didn't find her remains is because they were digging in the wrong section of the garden. By 4 p.m. that same evening, the police had found Heather West's body after Fred led them to the correct location in the backyard. She was dismembered in a few garbage bags, which had been tied up with rope, and again, some bones missing. And her fingernails were found in a pile, suggested that they had been ripped off in an attempt at torture. Oh my god. Continuing digging, the police found a third thigh bone. Now, either Heather was born with three legs, or they just found another body. Yeah. And Fred confessed that there were two other sets of human remains in the garden, and agreed to return to the house to reveal both locations. One being Shirley Robinson, and the other set being incorrectly identified by Fred as Shirley's mate. But this body actually turned out to be the body of Allison Chambers. After discovering these three sets of human remains, Fred said, that was all, there's no more to keep looking, that's it, that's all I did. But the police had garnered enough evidence to do a complete, full search of 25 Cromwell Street, including in the house. With many questions still being asked about his ex-wife Rena and stepdaughter Charmaine, Fred wrote a note that he authorized to his solicitor to pass to the lead investigator of the murder investigation. The note said, quote, I, Frederick West, authorize my solicitor, Howard Odgen, to add to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit to a further approximate nine killings expressly Charmaine, Rena, Linda Goff, and others to be identified. Signed, F. West. Fred later admitted that there was another five bodies in the cellar and one under the bathroom, being Linda Goff, as we know. Between March 5th and 8th, police found six more bodies of young females, one being 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper, who was taken at a bus stop after seeing a movie with her boyfriend. Each body was mutilated, each showing extreme sexual abuse. One of them had tape wrapped all around her head. All of their ankles and wrists were bound. Through all of this, Fred claimed 100% liability. Rose had no idea of any of these murders or assaults. But the police weren't buying it. Over the next 17 months, four other victims between the ages of 15 and 21 were all found, and it was thought that every victim was tortured greater than the one before, as the injuries in the bodies just grew worse and worse. Rose was arrested on April 20th, 1994, and she was questioned about the murder of her daughter Heather and that of Linda Goff and was charged with Goff's murder. On May 6, both Fred and Rose were jointly charged with five murders, with Rose continuously saying, I'm innocent. She continued to claim innocence in all 46 future interviews. 
Fred confessed to the murders of Rena and Charmaine and confessed to knowing where the remains of Anne McFall were, but denied killing her. He was later transferred to H.M. Prison, Birmingham, where he was on a strict suicide watch, where his cell was checked every 15 minutes. On June 30th, 1994, Fred and Rose West were brought to court with Fred being charged for 11 murders, he was later charged with Anne McFall's murder, and Rose being charged for nine. Fred, on many occasions, actually tried to get to Rose in court to show her affection. Once being when he first entered the court, he had to pass behind her table where she was sitting, and he placed his hand on her shoulder for comfort, and she just kind of shrugged him off and didn't acknowledge him. And at the end of the trial, as he was being taken away, he tried to run to Rose and actually fought off a bunch of guards to get to her. And Rose was just like wincing and squirming in her chair, didn't want anything to do with him. Fred then found out that Rose was actually telling the press she was a grieving mother who lost her daughter and stepdaughter at the hands of her husband, which she told everybody she hated and continued to claim innocence. Interesting. So Fred being hurt, he withdrew his earlier confession and told the police that Rose was the mastermind behind all of the murders. Ah, okay. And she told him what to do every time, especially with Heather's murder. Fred later testified that he said that he said the following after being informed that Heather was dead. I mean, I thought the bloody world of Heather. So anyways, I got to grips with it after a while and the first thing that came into my mind was I'm going to have to take this and sort it out, which I did. All of the messes Rose got herself into, I took the fucking rap for them. I helped her out. So anyway, I said, you'll have to tell me exactly what happened. She said that Heather was cut up. Well, I've never felt so ill for a few seconds. A few minutes before I could get to grips with myself again, and I said, what on earth did you cut her up for? She said, she wouldn't fit in the dustbin. Now, the thing that makes it hard is that she cut Heather up and chucked her in a fucking dustbin her daughter in a dustbin end quote on january 1st 1995 fred west was discovered dead in his cell with a suicide note that read quote to rose west steve and may well rose it's your birthday on 29 november 1994 and you will be 41 and still beautiful and lovely and i love you we will always be in love the most wonderful wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. Our love is special to us. So love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. Where we are put together forever and ever is up to you. We loved Heather, both of us. I would love Charmaine to be with Heather and Rena. You will always be Mrs. West all over the world. That is important to me and to you. I haven't gotten you a present, but all I have is my life. I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. End quote. On the bottom of the note was actually two little gravestones and written on them were in loving memory, Fred West and Rose West rest in peace where no shadow falls in perfect peace. He waits for his Rose, his wife. So he did like a little doodle at the bottom. I mean, cute, but doesn't really deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't make anything any better. He then hung himself by wrapping a rope he had made from a blanket and tags he stole from the prison laundry bags. At the proceedings in February, Rose pled not guilty to 10 murders, Charmaine being added after Fred's suicide. In the opening statement, the prosecutor portrayed the Wests as sex-obsessed, sadistic murderers. He He pointed out that Fred was in jail when Charmaine was killed. That a gag on one of the victims was a scarf tied in a bow, which is a feminine touch. And there were testimonies against Rose by her mother Daisy, sister Glennis, surviving victims Anna Marie West, Catherine Halliday, Caroline Owens, and a woman named Miss A, who was assaulted by Fred and Rose at the age of 14, but whose identity was kept private because she was a minor. Makes sense, yeah. Neighbors of the Wests also testified. Against the advice of her counsel, Rose testified herself, sometimes being remorseful and being teary-eyed and putting on an act, and other times being humorous and happy. She cried and described herself as a victim of abuse and then would turn around and be laughing while describing one of the victim's grandfather-like glasses. 
She claimed to have never met six of the victims at Cromwell. She was shown pictures of the victims in the cellar, asking if she recognized any of them, to which she just stuttered and replied no and refused to look at them, basically. She claimed that Heather was a lesbian who physically abused her siblings, still stating that she loved Heather and had no knowledge of her murder, again claiming that she kept contact with her over the phone after her disappearance, which isn't possible, so I don't know why she didn't drop that. Seven other women came forward to testify that they recognized Fred's photo on the news, and they too were attacked by him. The last person to take the stand was a woman named Janet Leach who was a friend of Fred and viewed her as a confidant. And that prior to his arrest, Fred told her everything. That if him and Rose got caught, he would take all of the blame and would paint Rose as innocent. He described to Janet many of the murders as Rose's mistakes that he had to cover. He told her that Rose murdered Charmaine when he was in prison. Janet said that Fred told her Rose took part in the murder, mutilation, and dismemberment of Shirley Robinson. Rose personally being the one to remove her unborn child from her womb. And Janet made it clear that Rose was not not only participated, but played a major part in these murders. After seven weeks of showing evidence, the judge instructed the jury, stating that the evidence is sufficient enough for finding of guilt, that if two people take part in a murder, both are equally guilty regardless of which of them did the killing. So they're basically saying even if Rose wasn't the one who ended someone's life, she was still to be charged with first-degree murder. Yeah, she was completely and totally involved. Exactly. On November 21st and 22nd, 1994, the jury returned unanimous guilty verdicts for all 10 murders. And the judge sentenced Rose to life in prison without the possibility of parole. After being found guilty, Rose attempted to appeal all 10 murders... Again, stating that Fred admitted to all the murders and stating that she herself was a victim of Fred's abuse. She even tried to add in that she tried to stop some of the sexual abuse herself. In 1996, the court refused her appeal to even be heard, so they didn't even go to trial. She again tried to appeal in 2000, but dropped it in 2001. When asked in an interview if she would attempt to appeal again, she said no but still claimed innocence. Rose actually became close friends with fellow inmate Mira Hindley, who was the only other woman at the time to be sentenced to life in prison. Mira was a woman who, like Rose, also committed murders with her husband and sexually assaulted her own children. The two were noted to always be seen together and to have been involved romantically. They were known as prison royalty until Mira's death in 2002. Prior to his suicide, the police collected over 108 hours of Fred confessing to numerous murders in detail. He claimed there was over 30 more victims that him and Rose had murdered spread across the country, and he was going to give the police the location of one body every year. He admitted several different things to his son, Stephen, including that after he murdered his victims, he would engage in the act of necrophilia, and that the reason many of the bones were missing, specifically the finger and toe bones, like we have mentioned numerous times, was because it was a special type of torture Fred liked his victims to endure, so he would cut off their fingers and toes and keep them. And just keep them. Where did, where did he say, like, where? He never admitted to where the bones ended up, so they were never, ever found to this day. Oh, my God. Fred also admitted to Stephen about murdering 15-year-old Mary Bastholm, even though her body was never seen. In May of 2021, so not too long ago, the police announced they were going to inspect the grounds of a cafe that Mary worked at and that Fred was known to have done some repair work for, but they did not find anything. Fred's younger brother hung himself in November of 1996 while he awaited trial for the sexual assaults of his nieces that Fred allowed him to partake in. Some of the children continued to visit Rose frequently in prison until 2006 when she cancelled all contact with them because they started asking questions about her involvement in the assaults and murders. A former friend of the West named Terence Crick reported Fred to the police numerous times whenever Fred bragged about the many abortions he performed on teenage girls, including showing Terrence Polaroid pictures of the bloody tools that he used and photos of the victim's private parts. Though he reported Fred, this never led to Fred being questioned or arrested. 
And when Terrence learned of all the heinous crimes that Fred had participated in beyond the abortions, the immense guilt he felt from not trying harder to get Fred apprehended seemed to have been too much, leading him to take his own life and his body was found in his car in January of 1996. In 2004, the youngest boy of the West children, Barry, claimed to have witnessed the murder of his sister Heather back in 1986, when he was seven at the time. He says his parents tied Heather up before sexually assaulting her and beating her, and her life was ended when Rose repeatedly stomped on her head until she stopped moving. In 1999, Anna Marie attempted suicide by drowning herself in a river, but was unsuccessful. Stephen attempted suicide by hanging himself in 2002, but was unsuccessful. He was then arrested in 2004 for unlawful sexual relations with a 14-year-old girl on several occasions. And the West's youngest son, Barry, successfully committed suicide in 2010 by drug overdose. He was known to have battled long-term drug addiction and psychiatric problems from everything he witnessed during his childhood. The house at 25 Cromwell Street was demolished in 1996 with every single piece of debris destroyed to stop potential souvenir hunters. Fred and Rosemary West were known to have committed 12 murders between the years of 1967 and 1987. It is believed that there are many other victims who suffered at their hands whose remains have not yet been discovered. Unfortunately, with Fred passing and Rose acting, as if she never knew about the murders, so she doesn't know where the bodies are, we may never really know how many victims there are. Rose is currently 67 years old and is serving her life sentence at HM Prison New Hall, where she still continues to claim her innocence to this day. And that's the story. That is a lot. Yeah, that was a, a long one. A little bit longer than normal, but a lot of information on that one, yeah, unfortunately. Ton. But thank you guys so much for watching and listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, please make sure to download the podcast. It helps a bunch. We're going to be posting a new episode every Tuesday. Our sources will be linked in the episode description as usual if you guys want to read or watch any of the documentaries. To find more of us or if you want to get the recipe for the cocktails we have on the episodes, please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Crime Convos Podcast and Twitter at Crime Convos Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week with a new crime and a new cocktail. Bye. Bye.